podcast um i was lucky enough to sit down with mark hartley of uh, the director of a girl at the window um, which will be coming out tomorrow november 4th um, about his new movie about the industry in general how it was filming during covid um about his two other documentaries if you uh enjoyed girl at the window which i very much did um you'll see a lot of influences from his uh, prior documentaries um such as uh, one on canon films and not quite hollywood the story about um exploitation um so enjoy and uh definitely go see girl at the, at the window I'm sure. Well, I uh, watched the movie last night and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I got a chance to, because I'd seen your um, Osbilitation film before, um, your doc. And then I got, finally got a chance to see your uh, Canon doc and I just loved all of them. Um, so I'm, you know, um, wishing you the best on what's, you know, when you release and everything in a few days. So you're just, you're just saying that because you're talking to me. <laughs> No, 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 for real. I, I actually like. I was gonna say to you, thank you for giving me one of the the, the gag moments that I've had recently of learning what chunder was. Right. So I was like, oh wow, that is that's intense. So thank you for that. Um, I, I could give you a very long spiel about the history of the word chunder, but I won't waste your time. <laughs> I, you know, at a different time, I would definitely take that. Right. Definitely. Okay. Well, and. It's, you know, saying that I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, but I know the answer to it, but I'm assuming that, you know, the interest in this project was because of the exploitation, but were you out like actively looking for an exploitation picture to make with Girl, uh, Girl in the Window? Uh, not at all. I think, look, to some degree, it's actually been, um, there's been a bit of a, part of people's problem with the film is that it's not exploitation enough. And we never set out to make an exploitation film at all. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, exploitation films ended in 1990. Mm -hmm. So no, mm -hmm. certainly if we were, if we were, if we had said, okay, let's find an exploitation film, it would have been uh, far more extreme yeah. than this film is. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree because I saw the hallmarks of it, but it didn't seem like it was it was over the top, you know, like what I, yeah. I would assume an exploitation film would be. Um, well, the, yeah, the, the best, look, I, I guess Not Quite Hollywood is, is a little bit misleading because it does take the best moments from those hundred or so films and distills it down to a, like, you know, 98 minute documentary. So I'm sure right. if you were taking, you know, 60 seconds from Girl at the Window, you could make it look like an exploitation film. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. it's certainly not all 85 minutes are. Right. Um, what drew you to it then? If, you know, obviously not that, then what, what you know, um, what was it calling to you with it? Well, look, to tell you the truth, um, after I made a, another feature film called Patrick, which was actually right. a remake of mm -hmm. um, Richard Franklin's film. And um, after that, the producer, Tony Ganane, and I worked for a very, very long time on a much bigger project, which was like a, a chase through the outback thriller um, kind of uh, I was kind of pitched as um, Jewel meets Dead Calm in the Outback. And we mm. worked on that for a very, very long time. And 
after a while, I just found that it had been so long since I'd been on a set. And I said to Tony, look, you know, let's, why don't we look around and find a film that we can make with the minimum of fuss? In Australia, you have to, most of the films get financed through the Australian government bodies. Right, um, right. And so we needed to find a film that we didn't have to go through all that government red tape to get a film financed. We could sort of raise money on and, and get it made quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film, this script sort of really fitted the bill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, we, we kind of obviously adjusted it a bit because the schedule became tougher and tighter as the, um, as, as the, you know, the raising of the finances went on. But, yeah, it was a film that I, I read and thought, well, this is something we can achieve um, quite modestly. And, you know, it was a page turner to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely saw the hallmarks of a, a number of different movies in it. Like, you know, I definitely saw some, you know, uh, Hitchcock in it. I saw um, a lot of, you know, it's interesting. Some of the horror elements uh, movies that I was imagining, I'd like to see if I, if you have a couple that you felt like influenced you to, for this movie, I want to see if maybe my guesses are correct. Oh, look, I honestly can't remember to tell you the truth. I know, <laughs> I know with Patrick, we sat down and we watched lots and lots and lots of films and they all kind of informed how we were going to make Patrick. Mm-hmm. With this film, we didn't have that time. So Gary, the DOP, and I didn't really sit down and watch anything, but obviously we loved De Palma films. Mm-hmm. We love Argento films. We love the films of Richie Franklin. And I think, you know, it's kind of all the acolytes of Hitchcock that we, you know, uh, probably studied more than the Hitchcock films themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, certainly it harks back to Rear Window. It harks back to Body Double. Right. It harks back to Fright Night. It harks back to all those films that have mysterious things going on next door. But it's yeah. actually most, most of those films have a male protagonist. There's very few of them have female protagonists. Right. I, I immediately, I, I got... Fright Night vibes right away from it. I was uh, kind of taken aback. It was um, refreshing, actually, because um, I Fright Night's one of my favorite movies. Um, uh, can you? Um, I know you. You're talking about working with uh, Gary Richards, and you guys talk. And I know you've mentioned before, and maybe I'm misusing this quote or uh, talking about um, anti-materialism, like when you're when you're filming and creating a film. Can I mean? Is, is that true? Or am I just speaking out of turn or out of school? I'm actually, one? I have no idea what you mean by anti-materialism. Oh, okay. There was a, I had a quote from, there was, so somebody must have misquoted you at some point. They were Absolutely, talking about. Absolutely, because that, that <laughs> word has never, ever passed these lips. Wow. Okay. So now I feel like I'm really talking out of school. So please ignore that one. No, um, no. Well, tell, tell, tell me, maybe, maybe they just couldn't understand what I meant and they used their own words. So what, 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 what are you actually saying? It was more along the lines of like using, not so much using the, uh, using the lighting and everything like that and making it a more holistic and realistic uh, in, t- you know, time, you know, uh, filming when you're, when you're working on a film, like, you know, well, all, all I can say is Gary and my aesthetic is very old school. You know, we, we don't like the look of Australian films now. Everything shot where you pull everything out of the, the lighting truck, but you try to make everything look like it's naturalistic, like nothing's lit at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything shot, you know, handheld or, um, you know, we, we don't like that at all. So we, we yeah. are very, very much old school in the fact that everything is shot off a dolly or track or a crane. We never use any handheld. Um, everything's lit to look like a film rather than real life. And, yeah. and I, I, I guess that that's just our aesthetic. I mean, it's funny. Gary says no one can complain about our film not looking like a film, but unfortunately it looks like a film made in 1980. I, get, I mean, 
I, I felt like I there was a definite realism to it. I definitely felt that. I mean, um, yeah. and so maybe that's where because that's kind of where where it sounded like the whole, <laughs> the whole rest of the quote was going. Um, questions. Um, so I know that speaking of filming and like the crunch that you guys were in to get everything done, I know that you also like filmed during COVID, and. Yeah. Um, I know how it affected dramas and everything. How did it affect the horror horror community too? I mean, could you talk to a little bit about that? Yeah, well, for us, we weren't just shooting during COVID. We were shooting during a lockdown in Melbourne. Right. So it was mm-hmm. even more severe. And Melbourne had the most severe lockdowns of any city in the world. Right. And so we were shooting at a time where no one could leave their homes. They could leave their homes for an hour a day to exercise. They couldn't travel more than five kilometers. And we had a curfew. Um, you know, everyone had to be inside by seven o'clock, no cars on the road. So it was pretty tough. And, um, you know, you don't actually realize how tough it is until your wardrobe person tells you that, you know, they can't go shopping for any clothes and your your art department's telling you, well, we can't go and just pick up props from anywhere. Right. So yeah, it it was, it was really difficult. And for me, just as a director, the main thing was that, you know, when you're working with a cast, you try to really have a, a, a really lovely relationship and camaraderie between the cast and, and the right. crew. And that's kind of really difficult too when literally there's no welcoming drinks, there's no rap party, there's nothing that happens after work. As soon as you finish rap, you go home and mm-hmm. you stay at home in your bubble and then you come back to work. So yeah, it's yeah. funny, on, on one of the last days I was sitting opposite Rada at lunchtime and mm-hmm. um, she said to me, you know, I actually don't know anything at all about you. And it was true. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah. that, I think that was the, the hardest thing, really. Just, um, you know, kind of, yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, the, the the camaraderie of cast and crew. That's that's the difference between making a narrative film as opposed yeah. to making a documentary. And that's what I was really looking forward to. And we really didn't get a good chance to exploit that. But having said that, when 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 you are working under such tough conditions and the odds are against you, you obviously people do pull together to, to try to, uh, you know, really give it a hundred percent and, and, and make sure that, you know, that there's, you kind of, you, you feel bonded together when you're battling against the odds. Right. Right. Uh, I was wondering about that. If that was like, you know, they still find it kind of feel like uh, nervous, obviously, because, you know, you don't know what's happening and you don't know how close you can be to one another and yeah. you can always just prepare. Well, that, but, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was another problem. I mean, the, the, we just simple things like the, um, the camera assistant, Mm-hmm. couldn't pull focus on the camera because he'd be too close to the camera operator. Oh, so yeah. everything yeah. had to be done by remote, which was, uh, you know, also. Oh, another, wild. That is wild. And um, yeah, I, did, I didn't know, you know, it's funny. We had a, we had a cast and crew screening, you know, obviously a lot later when, when lockdown wasn't on and I didn't realize that half the crew had mustaches. I'd never seen their faces. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very strange. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, uh, what got you into like, um, I mean, I, I would say a horror bent. I don't know. I mean, what, what, you know, what I always like to ask, what, what is the film or films that like got, you know, gets someone into their genre? Uh, look, for filmmakers of my generation, um, we, everyone I read of my generation says they saw Star Wars at the cinema and that changed everything for them. And that was certainly the case with me. Um, but in terms of horror, look, I think one thing that, that really does have some impact on Girl at the Window 
is that I remember as a kid seeing both The Howling and American Wealth in London, mm-hmm. pretty close to each other in Australia. And they were films that as a, as a kid I could get in to see because they were only rated M in Australia. Mm-hmm. But yet there was content in them that I couldn't believe I was seeing as a, as a, as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to do the same thing with, with Girl at the Window to some extent. People are a little bit taken aback when the nudity turns up and when there's a bit of, you know, a little bit of gore here and there. And that's because I think they really just expected it to be a Nancy Drew film. Well, it sets itself up as a, as a Nancy Drew kind of thriller. Yeah. And then suddenly you've got a naked girl in a cage. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. for me, that was all about giving kids who saw this film just thinking they were going to see a Nancy Drew adventure, this little bit of added content that they couldn't believe that they were seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had so many people amazed that there is nudity in this film because they just say we don't see that in these kinds of films anymore. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was a kid, certainly it was in everything. Um, yeah. And I, I think that, look, honest to tell you the God's honest truth, I think that to a large extent, the sales agent and, and the producers of this film were very happy if we just turned in a movie of the week, my mum's dating a serial killer next door kind of film. Oh, yeah, like a lifetime film. Mm-hmm. And we, we wanted to make something that was a little bit more than that, as much as we could. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that, that's probably another reason why those elements are there. Um, I think it will, it, it definitely appeals to a, uh, like a wide market. Uh, I know I have friends who are not like, cannot handle horror and I said I think you this would be oh you know it's I think it's intrigue enough and there's enough you know terror elements that I think that they can handle it um I have to say it's really interesting you say that because I always thought of this film as a gateway movie it's kind of a good Mm -hmm. put your toes in the water to see if you're going to like this kind of content because it, it very much is a throwback um you know when I look at horror films now particularly being on the festival circuit with all my other films films genre films were turning into two cuts two kinds of films really either really really artistic films like the witch etc or really mm-hmm. really extreme movies and our film sits very much in the middle of that and mm-hmm. i do think i do think you're right i think if you're watching a streaming service that up comes a um a sort of a thriller starring rada mitchell you watch it not really knowing that it's going to have those horror elements and right. um, you know they won't disturb you too much within this film right and I think the the and personally like the the relationship between um, the mom and the daughter definitely spoke to me, and I know would speak to other uh, my friends and um, and you know how the the play you know the the back and forth between the two of them. Um, how were those actresses? Did they you know again with COVID? I must that must have been hard to try to kind of create that relationship and that bond between the two of them. Yeah, look, they they didn't meet until the day before the shoot. Oh my um, yeah. we, we had two days, we had two days before actually shooting where I could get the cast together only, you know, who, if we had three people doing the scene, they were there. If we had two people doing the scene, they were there. We just literally, we didn't rehearse. We just ran through lines together and just chatted about characters for, mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And that was it really. Mm-hmm. And then from them, they were thrown into it. And I I'd said to, to the entire cast, I said, we are so tough and tight on this shoot that if I get in the first take, I'm moving on. Now I don't mean, that you know it's going to be the first take regardless but if i'm happy with the first take and you guys are happy we'll move on Mm -hmm. so i think that also gave them the sense that okay let's let's try to bring it on our first take and see what happens and they thought that was kind of a little bit exhilarating uh, in Mm -hmm. a way because they're so used to working on films now that everything shot digitally people don't care how many takes they do yeah so um so i think they were surprised how fast we were moving and how much we were getting shot uh and the fact that i was very willing to move on if I was happy with take number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, I, I like the true crime element of it. Um, and I mean, you know that it's super huge here. I mean, everybody's into true crime here. Is that the same way it is in Australia? I mean, are the, it didn't surprise me to say that there was a teenager who was like, <laughs> um, you know, uh, studying her her neighbor to think that he's a serial killer. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. But I mean, does that the same? Is that kind of in the culture there too? Oh sure. I mean, there's there's now you turn on Netflix and every single um, you know lengthy doco series is about a gay serial killer. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, it's certainly there are serial killer podcasts. That certainly Australia has had its fair share of. Not so much serial killers, but, you know, unsolved murders and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, now examination going into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so crime, yeah, crime is very much. I mean, that, that's the thing What I, I thought, you know, initially when I read the script, there was a very lengthy finale where, you know, the killer comes down and explains all the reasons why he's been doing these terrible things. And I just said, look, this is such a part of everyone's lives now. They realise that there are bad people out there doing bad things. That's all we need to know about this guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think you wouldn't have been able to do that 10 years ago because, you know, everyone would right. have expect, needed some kind of, you know, reason why these events were happening. Now people much just take it that they happen and we have to deal with it. Right, right. That's so much the, um, the examination of, of yeah, how, what he does, the things he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you have coming up after this is released? Do you have something that you're filming now or working on? Uh, look, it's funny, you know, you always have a lot of projects, a lot of balls in the air, and it's always the least likely one that gets financed. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, Gary the DP and I walking out of a meeting for Girl at the Window a couple of years ago and just going, well, there you go. That's never, ever going to get it. That's never, ever going to get made. <laughs> and, you know, six months later, we got a phone call. We found the finance. We're shooting. So I couldn't tell you what I'm going to do next because um, you never know. But there's a couple of um, narrative films and there's a couple of docs. I'd like to get back and make one more doc. So we'll see what happens. Can I ask about the doc? Or- uh, well, look, it's, 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 it's certainly going to be similar to the other ones, but it's Is going it- to focus, focus more on Asian cinema. So we'll see. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, are your, what are some of your um, favorite uh, Asian film directors? Well, this, this so much isn't about Asian film directors at all. It's, 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 look, I'll tell you, it's called Deadly China Dolls and it's about female martial arts stars. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be, um, it's really, really early days, but um, I've sort of cut a sizzle reel and um, people are excited. So we'll see what happens. Oh, and look, I have to say, with along the same with Canon, I just start from the ground up. I really don't know a lot about this, but I watch every film there is. I read everything there is and... Um, you know, as I learn stuff, the audience learns stuff. So, yeah. so how does so you like if there's something that comes along that you like kind of grabs you, then you just do all the research that you can, and then is that you know how, how does it? Well, no, yeah, no, normally I, I write a research document, which ends mm, up being mm-hmm. being everything that I take my questions from for um when I do the interviews. That's mm-hmm. obviously is like the narrative of the film. So yeah, so with 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 Electric Boogaloo, uh, certainly I had like a hundred twenty page research doc Mm -hmm. which was kind of the story i wanted to tell and i'll I'll do the same with this yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the good thing is that when you're on when you are talking to the people you actually do know the answer to every question you're asking i think that's the most that's the most important thing and you know (laughs) you know the answers you need to draw out of these people right right um i there was very um there was a was it the film critic i forgot his name don i think it is in your you're not quite hollywood 
Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I think you're probably talking about Bob Ellis. Oh, Bob Ellis. Bob Ellis. That's right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, were you sure what was going to come out of his mouth? <laughs> I, I knew the kind of stuff that he'd say for sure. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Bob, it, Bob, unfortunately, is no longer with us. Oh, is but, he not? Um, okay. But uh, he, uh, yeah, I knew that he was going to say every. I mean, his reviews basically said everything was rubbish. So he, <laughs> he was a very colourful character in Australia. And, yeah. um And I remember at the premiere of the film, he turned up to the premiere, and, I, and after he'd seen the film, I said, "Come on, Bob, you have to admit now that Long Weekend and Road Games are good films." And he, <laughs> said, he said, "Absolutely not. They're still rubbish." <laughs> Yeah, I was a little taken aback. I was like, whoa, <laughs> quite, uh, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, well, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with me. That's a good pleasure. Thanks. Yeah.